Good morning. So I have a beanie on today. I don't typically do that, but I feel like it'd be more offensive to see my hair than to see this hat. I know, you know, for those of you that are traditionalists, it might not be to see a pastor with a hat or a beanie on. Might be a little disrespectful. I want to honor you. But uh, if you were to see my hair, that would be equally as disrespectful too. So I'm just kind of caught in the middle place. It's a heart with Inspired Church on it. Um, I promise I love Jesus um, and I honor and respect him. Did y'all hear Kat? talk about casserole who makes casserole she was like just heat your casseroles up I was like oh this isn't a casserole church this is like a tamale enchiladas chicken mole this is like a pancet you know church sopas this is like right like on Christmas I don't know where we got the casserole from but uh, but we'll, we'll fix that we'll fix that in round two um, and so and uh, our meetups are coming back I'm excited about that Listen, I preached about eight weeks on the beautiful community. Like, if you still don't want to go to a meetup, I'm about to lay hands on you. No, I'm kidding. Okay, anyway. So it's, but anyways, man, we, we are gathering together. I hope you look forward to that. And um, man, I'm so nostalgic about Christmas Eve. Um, I remember last year, we couldn't even meet. Remember, we were at the BART station, but it was still a beautiful time. And so I really, really hope, again, if you're Latino, I think Filipinos have this tradition too. We celebrate our Christmas Eve. That's like in the evening, we meet with our families and we're still going to do that, but we're going to take an hour to just spend some time here and then go with our family. So I'd love for you to mark that down now. It'll be an amazing time together. Amen. Amen. Well, as Catherine had said, this is the last installment of our sermon series that we called The Beautiful Community. And if you remember, in week one, we learned that even though you may have nothing in common with someone, if you're a follower of Christ, the blood has bonded you together. And so that your commonality is the blood of Jesus. Your commonality may not be your ethnicity. Your commonality may not be your favorite football team. You may have no interests that align, but the blood of Jesus has bonded us together. We have been bonded by his blood. Can I get an amen? 9 a.m. In week two, we defined the, true, the meaning of true love. In week three, if you remember, Pastor Roger encouraged us to stir one another up, encourage one another. In week three, week four... We were challenged to be a community of weightlifters, bodybuilders, bearing one another's burdens. Amen? And last week, if you were here, what an incredible, courageous, vulnerable message by Pastor Roger. Amen? Uh, Inspiring us, really, to be free to forgive. And, And today, we're going to finish this series... And I'm titling the message, and you don't have to put it up yet. I'm just throwing it out now. Prioritizing the stranger. Prioritizing the stranger. In 2016, Wanda Dench accidentally sent a text to Jamal Hinton. She thought she was texting her grandson, inviting him to Thanksgiving dinner. But what she didn't know was that her grandson no longer had that phone number. That ever happened to you? Terrible grandson, right? Should have let her know. And and, and now that number belonged to a stranger. And, And the exchange looked a little something like this. Wanda sent the text message to her grandson, 
and said, Thanksgiving dinner is at my house on November 24th at 3 p.m. Let me know. Essentially, this exchange, letting her grandson know. Jamal responded, who is this? Wanda replied, your grandma. Jamal then said, can I have a pic? (laughs) Send me a pic. And so Wanda said, yes. And like a good grandma, sent a pic and said, here I am at work. Jamal responded, you're not my grandma. (laughs) Can I still get a plate? Can I still get a plate? And Wanda responded after exchanging pictures, of course you can. That's what grandmas do. We feed everyone. Now watch this. And although Wanda did not expect Jamal to actually show up, it's been an ongoing tradition now for six years that they share Thanksgiving together. In fact, these two are totally different people, right? There's an old white woman and a young black man, right? Totally different side, totally different. Yet, listen to Jamal's words. Listen to what he said. It doesn't matter. You can be friends with anybody You could be family with anybody. In fact, they celebrated this last Thanksgiving together, and she lost her husband to COVID. And he was there to spend time with her during this time. And as we keep these photos up there, I want to say this. In a busy world with no room for extra relationships, in a tribal world full of cliques, And in an anxious world full of social anxieties, the beautiful community demonstrates hospitality by learning to prioritize the stranger. By learning to prioritize the stranger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this has been such an empowering, challenging, inspiring series. And I just pray that None of these messages and words would come back void. But Holy Spirit, you would do what you do. You would illuminate the text as I preach your word faithfully. And I pray that every heart, every mind in this room would be challenged to prioritize the stranger. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I've entitled this final installment of the beautiful community, Prioritizing the stranger. If you have your Bibles, and it's awfully dark in here, we can raise this lighting up just a little bit. It's not going to be a lot of scriptures, but I would love for you to go there if you could, and I'll wait for you. You're invited to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we are going to read verses 8 through the first few phrases of verse 10. In fact, we could say 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read 8 through 10a. The first part of 10, amen? So First Peter chapter four, and I'll wait for you. We'll also have it for you here on the screen. But First Peter chapter four, verse eight through 10a. I know the Wi-Fi isn't spectacular in this place too. First Peter chapter four, verse eight through 10a. If you have it, would you say amen? Amen, I got a little slight murmur, that's good. Are you ready? Yes. Amen. First Peter chapter four. Verses 8 through 10a reads like this. Above all, 
keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. I love this. Without grumbling. Any grumblers in the room? You know who you are. Come on, just own it. That's me. That's me. Right? You inviting people over. Oh, we got to do, you got to do that. Right? Got to do this. Passive, right? Right, right, right. Like, it's so funny. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. By the way, thank you for those of you that are wearing that proudly. Your self-awareness is impeccable. And then he goes on to say, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he's going to go on to talk about some of these graces. So use it to, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, varied grace. Amen? Now, if you just kind of look at this small section that I'm highlighting between Peter's command to love and to serve is the command to show hospitality, right? It's kind of sandwiched here. He says, above all, love one another. And then he'll say, serve one another. In the middle, he'll say, show hospitality without grumbling. You could say that hospitality is a practical expression of love and a practical expression of service. In fact, and I want you to take note here because I am forming this entire message off of these next three points. You could say that hospitality, are you ready, is a form of love, an act of service, and a stewardship of grace. Hospitality is a form of love, an act of service, and a stewardship of grace. So let's dive into that. What do I mean when I say hospitality is a form of love? We have to look at the Greek word. And the Greek word for hospitality in this text, the word that we have translated as hospitality is the word philoxenos. And it's actually a combination of two words. It's a combination of the word philo, and it's the combination of xenos. Philo means love. Philadelphia, right, is the city of brotherly love. It's philo and Adolphos together to make brotherly love. And so philo means love. Xenos means foreign or strange. So if you put these two words together... You could rightfully define hospitality as, ready? Love for the stranger. It's a kind of love. And, and, and what makes this definition so unusual and uncomfortable is the priority of the stranger. Notice hospitality does not prioritize the family. Hospitality does not prioritize our friends, but the priority of hospitality is the outsider, the outlier, and the outcast among us. Are you with me? Yes. It's quiet in this room, but there's a lot of people. 
It's like being in a room full of your favorite people. How many extroverts are in here? You could even be an introvert. If you're in a room full of your favorite people, what an amazing day that would be. It's like being in a room full of your favorite people, but also in that room is somebody nobody knows. Listen, to move in hospitality is to prioritize the stranger in a sincere effort to make them feel welcome, wanted, and known. It would be like the hospitality team here at Inspire as their friends walked by them to ignore their friend in order to greet the stranger because hospitality means that you are prioritizing Stranger, thank you. 9 a.m. is quiet. Number two, hospitality is not just a form of love. Are you ready? It's an act of service. And did you know that's the definition of ministry? Many of you think wrongly that ministry is what the pastor does on Sundays. Ministry is service. It's service. In fact, you can find hospitality in between hospital and hospice in the dictionary. It's an act of service. Now, did you know that in the ancient world, hospitality was a necessity? Do you ever think about that? In the ancient world, hospitality was a necessity. Before there were restaurants, before there was refrigeration, Before there were hotels, traveling meant depending on the kindness of strangers. Think about that. In fact, just to go away for a few days, like we take a lot of stuff for granted, don't we? Just to go away for a few days would require extra support from strangers just to survive. So entire societies, check this out would be judged on their hospitality. Do you know that? In fact, if if a city, a village, or a town built up a reputation for being unwelcoming, it would drastically affect their trade. Are you guys with me? I wanna make sure you're following me. So if a city, a town, or a village became or, or, or had a reputation of being unwelcoming, the surrounding cities, the surrounding towns actually would ignore them in trade. In the modern world, hospitality is a luxury, amen? There's an entire industry. It's called the hospitality industry built around it, right? Big money, big money. We search for the best restaurants, I don't. I do. We, have the, we look for the best hotels with the best ratings. Anybody in here use Yelp, Priceline, Travelocity, Hotels.com, so on and so forth. We leave reviews. Anybody like to leave reviews? Yeah? We leave reviews. How about re-reviews? Anybody re-reviews? Like, I know people that say, God forbid, like, I won't go to a hotel under this, like, four-star ratings. I will not walk into a hotel like that. You'll read what everyone has to say. We want the deal and the luxury because God forbid we go somewhere less than four stars. God forbid we end up at a Motel 6. Amen? 
Anybody ever been to one of those? Man, be a little scary. But here's the key. Here's the key. Ready? While ancient hospitality was a necessity and modern hospitality a luxury, biblical hospitality is a ministry. It's a ministry. In fact, the scriptures describe phylloxenos as a spiritual gift. It's called a spiritual gift. Did you know that there are some people in this room that have been uniquely empowered by the Holy Spirit to be unusually hospitable? Do you know that? You can always tell who they are, by the way. Like somebody came to your mind, right? If somebody came to your mind right now, they have the gift. You can always tell somebody who has this spiritual gift. Why? They love to host. They love to open their home. They're the first to introduce themselves. Remember your first time here at church? Like who was the first person to genuinely introduce themselves to you? Not just like obligatory, <laughs> right? That person probably has the gift. They're the first to introduce. They're the first to say hello. You know you've encountered someone with this gift because all of a sudden you feel at home. And you know that you have this gift because being hospitable in some ways, it brings you joy, right? It brings you joy. It energizes you. Right? In fact, to, to, to ignore that gift or to let it go dormant, if you have that gift, is actually a little piece of you will die a little bit. It empowers you. Philoxenos is described as a spiritual gift in the Bible. Did you also know Philoxenos is described as a qualification for being a pastor, for being an elder? Paul tells Timothy that an overseer must be hospitable. That means to enter into the pastorate as a shepherd of the flock. One must be willing to prioritize the stranger. Now, I'm sure many of you in here are breathing a sigh of relief, right? Man, it is 9 a.m. Y'all, man, we're crowded today. Y'all, <laughs> help me out. Many of you probably say, that's not my gift. That's not my gift. You know, I don't, God didn't give me that gift. It drains me. I dread it. And I'm certainly not called to be a pastor, right? Like, I'm sure there are people in this room kind of listening to what I'm saying. It says, check, I don't have that gift because it drains me and tires me out. And number two, uh, sorry, not called to be an elder anytime soon. So I got that off. So good luck with that, Pastor Phil. Uh, and good luck with everybody who has that gift. But can I also say the scripture also describes Philoxenos as a biblical command. Sure, it may not come easy to you. But you serve a God who welcomed you when you were estranged from the Father. And he welcomed you at an extraordinary cost. So we're called to image that God by welcoming others, even if it cost us. Amen? And this is what I think is ironic. While the world charges for hospitality... The church is called to give it away. Give it away freely. While the world charges for hospitality, the church is called to give it away. That's ministry. That's service. Now, if hospitality is hard for you, 
Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm that, I'm that third one. My biblical command drains me. It's difficult. It's tough. I'd rather the people with the gift do it. Pastors, you've got to do it. If it drains you, if it's hard for you, I actually want to suggest, I want to make a suggestion. I want you to consider something. Maybe part of the reason why prioritizing the stranger feels so intimidating and draining is because you've confused the ministry of hospitality with the need to entertain. I want you to think about this. When our heart's desire is to impress rather than bless, we're probably entertaining and when we entertain, we put all of our energy into performing. Did you know performing is more tiring than serving? Oh, y'all didn't know that. You see, we, we want to show off. We want to look good. We, we want to paint a perfect picture of our home. God forbid somebody leaves our house and kind of thinks, man, that house is dirty. And if you think that way, it's because you do it. <laughs> Right. No, no wonder why hospitality brings us so much stress and anxiety. In order to be hospitable, we need to mop the floor, vacuum the rug, clean the bathrooms. We want a perfect home, an extravagant recipe. We break out the fine china, put up the scented candles, amen? And instead of providing simple hospitality, we become Pinterest performers, Yeah? Really fascinating to me. I don't know if it's generationally, but I feel like there are a lot of people with social anxieties these days. And maybe in the previous generation, there were, they just didn't say it as much, but now it's kind of, we're empowered to speak. This is taboo before, you know, don't say that. But now we're kind of being a little bit more empowered to be honest and real, and I really appreciate that. But there's a lot of social anxieties, even in this room. And, you know, as a pastor, there's two parts of me. There's this care component that what's to come alongside of somebody that has these anxiousness. You know what it means. There's probably many of you in here that feel anxious about being in rooms with people, so on and so forth. And so there's the pastoral side that really wants to come alongside and comfort those that are really struggling with anxiety. Really do. But there's also another side of being kind of obedient to the text. You see the tension there? And I don't ever want to force you to be obedient to something that maybe clinically there is some things going on. But I think there's also an excuse our generation makes. I feel like in my generation, it was ADD. I don't know if you know, we all said that we had ADD. Like, I have ADD, right? And like, I, I, you know, the reality is we weren't really like diagnosed with it. But in kind of my generation, we all blamed ADD on our constant fidgeting and stuff. Maybe I'm the only one who remembers that. But just a lot of people in my age group like blamed AD. This generation, I feel like the, the new thing is anxiety, social anxiety. And again, I don't want to downplay somebody who truly has it. But there also is this pastoral part that wants to nudge and push obedience to the scriptures and really kind of help you find that space. I really see social anxiety like stopping people from actually bringing on true community in which the scripture calls us to. In fact, the scripture says, without it, you're going to die spiritually. 
Uh, without exercising this, you're going to, and, and I really think, you know, everything going on social media and Pinterest and all that has really created some anxieties that aren't really there, but we see other people's homes. We see other people's perfect lives. We go through Pinterest and we reason if I don't have a look or a life or a home like this, then somebody's going to come in and judge me. And we have allowed these insecurities to ride up. We call them anxieties. And let me just say this. It's blocked us from being obedient to the text. Like, I want to pastor you. Like, I just want you to be obedient to the word. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, make you do something you can't do, but I want to challenge you. Like, wrestle with that. And, 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 and granted, if you can't do it, I release you. You're free in Christ, okay? Like, whether you're hospi- hospital or not, is not going to determine your salvation, amen? Like, you're not going to go to hell. Or need- but what I just want to say is, as you grow as a follower, a disciple of Christ, consider these tensions. Jesus welcomed you at a great cost to himself. And in small ways, how can you welcome others and maybe it might cost you? Are you guys with me? You guys feel my heart there? I hope nobody's feeling like, you know, you get, I I really want, I really want to be careful because I know this truly exists, but I want to challenge where I can challenge. Amen. I want you to trust me here. Are you ready for this? There is a blessing in serving and a draining in performing. And maybe it's important for you to kind of take a real deep self look and prayer with the Lord and say, what is that? What is that? There is a blessing in serving. Did you know that you're missing, you're robbing yourself of a blessing? This sounds weird when you're not serving. Now there's a way in which we serve to perform. That's works-based. Works is performance. So there's a way we serve as a worship, as a form of love. And you know, there's a blessing in that. There's an exchange that's being made. When you open your home, when you share your life, when you spend time and you get to know someone, if you can get past the anxiety, there's actually an exchange, a beautiful exchange that takes place. Maybe even a lifelong friendship. Maybe not. Listen, biblical hospitality is a means to an end. It's a means to an end. When we open our doors wide, no matter how small or imperfect the space is, (laughs) amen? Amen. Shout out to all of us with small spaces. My space is about this big. When we open, yes, when we open our doors wide, When we open our doors wide, no matter how small or imperfect the space, we prioritize the stranger. Are you ready? And make room for them to experience the love of God. Amen? Are you with me? Biblical hospitality is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. Whereas entertainment, that is the end because you're receiving glory. Biblical hospitality is the glory goes to God. So that the stranger would know the love of God. Because it's better to bless than to impress. Amen? Amen? Yeah, you can write that down. It's okay. It's okay to get your phone out and jot that down and say, you know what? I'm going to look at that all week. It's okay. (laughs) 
It's better to bless than to impress. Hospitality is a form of love. Hospitality is an act of service. It's a ministry. It really is. And finally, hospitality is a stewardship of grace. A stewardship of grace. You know, the word grace really is, is a gift. Grace means gift. Did you know that? And there are two important points I think I want to make with grace, and then we're going to tidy this up. I'm going to have you guys out here in a very nice time. You're going to be very thankful for today. I'm going to grace you. <laughs> uh, number one, here's what I want you to know. Two, two important points about grace. God's grace is a matter of stewardship, not ownership. Grace, grace, grace is a gift. And God's gifts to us is a matter of stewardship and ownership. You know the difference between the two? If it were a matter of ownership, the gift would be to me, for me. You hear that? The gift would be to me, thank you, for me. Yeah, I'm gonna use it for myself. But since it's a matter of stewardship, the gift, are you ready, is to me for others. We actually, as Christians, are conduits, pipes. That we transfer gift from us to flow out to others. It doesn't stop with us. Amen? You see that? If it's stewardship, it's to me, through me, for others. Everything you have is a gift from God. If you're a follower of Christ, your finances... It's not yours. It's the Lord's. Is it going to me, through me, for others? Your time? Do you know your time is not yours? Oh, don't go there. <laughs> your energy? But it's not yours. Like God gives it to you, through you, for others. Yes, do we need to take a break? Amen. Amen. Need my breaks, need my Sabbaths, like God commands the Sabbath, right? Sabbath is good, we need a rest, but but to me, through me, for others. Did you know that house that God blessed you with? Nah, I can't do that, right? Someone said, it's an apartment. Yeah, but you know that space God gave you? You know that miracle that you didn't think you were going to get? That thing that you were praying for and wanting and desiring and, God, I, I need this. I want this. I live in the Bay Area. How are you going to do this? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you got a space. It may not be the perfect space. It may not land on MTV Cribs anytime soon. But do you remember when God answered that prayer? Was it to me, for me? Did God just say, you know what, I'm going to give you that because you're just really good and you deserve it? Or did he say, look, I'm going to give you this space and this place, this time and this energy and this job to me, through me, for others so that I wouldn't be glorified, but that God will be glorified. Man, what would it look like for a church to get a revelation of that? We'd never have to preach a message on giving ever. Wow. We haven't in a while. One's coming. Don't worry. I got one coming. <laughs> Love you guys. You know that. God's grace given to me is not just for my benefit, but for his glory. So what he gives to me goes through me to the world. You get that? God's grace. 
his gifts. God's grace is a matter of stewardship, not ownership. And secondly, did you know that there's multiple dimensions to God's grace? Can I just say this? Uh, uh, Did you know that the Holy Spirit empowers you with spiritual gifts? The minute that you became a believer, you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus gives gifts, the scripture says. He gives gifts to folks. There are different gifts in this room. Do you know what they are? Some of us do. Some of us have no clue. Fascinating. You could be sitting on a spiritual gift and never really look into it. You know what a spiritual gift is? like a superpower for Christians. It really is. That's the way I look at it. Comic book nerds, like we're so like trying to get lost in a world of superpowers. Like the Holy Spirit has empowered you. You've been given gifts. And some people have different gifts. There's varied, the scripture says varied gifts in this room. Untapped for his glory. Many gifts. But I want to go to a deeper dimension. I don't, I don't want to preach on gifts. But I want to focus on the gift of Jesus Christ that God has given to us all. Throughout the Gospels, the ministry of Christ was to the poor, the outcast, and the outsider. Do you know that? We see him regularly inviting to his table the lame, the sick, the sinner, the prostitute, the leper, the tax collector, the woman with the issue of blood. Do you think that these things were random or was God trying to tell us that the untouchable were touched by God? You think that was random or do you think that maybe the, the spirit writing in the gospel is trying to emphasize something about the ministry of Christ? We could say that Christ Actually, we could say that that's us. Amen? Amen. The poor, the lame, the sick, the sinner, of which we are all one. Amen? Amen? Before we met Jesus and before we were gifted this grace, we were all foreigners and strangers, exiled from the presence of the Father. Amen? Yet, Christ died to prioritize the stranger. You were a stranger. That's the gospel. You were the stranger. So the apostle Paul will write in Romans 15, 7, therefore, love the therefore, amen? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I'm going to finish with a, a bit of a warning, a little seatbelt. Uh, I have a concern for our current cultural climate. Be careful not to allow your political preferences to overrule your gospel-centeredness. Amen? Be careful not to allow your political preferences to overrule your gospel-centeredness. Can I just say this? It's becoming more politically expedient to fear the stranger in this country. Hello? 
as pundits battle it out on national media. They battle it out for power. They use their platforms to convince in order to buy votes, right? Many perpetuate fear. So they demonize the immigrant. They dehumanize the alien. They suspect the stranger. They speak in hurtful and disrespectful tones, making sweeping generations like they're all terrorists. But listen to the words of theologian and Protestant reformer John Calvin. He says, there is no greater duty that God imposes on us than hospitality to the stranger, especially to refugees. It may be so with the world, but let it not be so with the church. I don't know about you, but God has a funny way of testing me. Anybody else? Like, um, especially as a preacher, like, let, let's see if you practice what you preach. <laughs> God has a funny way of testing me, especially when I preach. And he wants to know if I practice what I preach. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm serious. This was probably on, t- so Tuesday is a sermon prep for me. I block out the entire day, lock myself in the room. I'll spend about nine hours prepping. And so this was on Tuesday afternoon-ish, I believe. I'm sermon prepping. I'm, I'm writing down notes and doing all these things. And um, as I was in the thick of prayer and sermon preparation for this message, I received an email. And it should come up for you here in a moment. And I'm going to just read it to you. Ready? Afghan refugee outreach training. It says, join leaders of faith who have spent decades working with refugees for a half-day training and planning workshop focused on how the Bay Area churches can serve Afghan refugees resettling in the South and East Bay areas. It also says, there is no cost. Fascinating, (laughs) right? There is no cost. All excuses taken away, Pastor Phil. There is no cost to attend, and lunch will be provided as long as you register. Please register by Monday, November 29th. You are also welcome to invite any people you know that care deeply about this cause and want to do something about it. How could I say no? How could I plan this entire message and say no? Regardless of political affiliation, fears, suspects, concerns, generalizations. How could I say no? How could I say no? It may be so with the world, but let it not be so with the church. Let me blow your mind, and then we're going to finish. Did you know that in Christ, all the key elements of hospitality are embodied? Do you know that? Did you know that in Christ, all the key elements of hospitality is embodied? Jesus is the host. 
come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the guest. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And Jesus is the sustenance. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He is the host, he is the guest, and he is the bread. And because Jesus graciously welcomed us, let us also welcome others. Let it be said that Inspired Church learned to prioritize the stranger. Amen? Let it be said that Inspired Church learned to prioritize the stranger.